0: Welcome once again to another episode of the Yoga and Body Image Coalition podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Sabrina Strings, who is a UC Berkeley Chancellor's postdoctoral fellow with a joint appointment in the School of Public Health and the Department of Sociology. Her research examines how the intersecting structures of race, class, and sexuality are inscribed on the body, which is then marshaled to validate social inequality. Her book manuscript, manuscript, Thin, White, and Saved, Fat, Stigma, and the Fear of the Big Black Body, explores how body size in particular has been used to maintain social hierarchies in the United States. Uh, Dr. Strings will be an assistant professor of sociology at UC Irvine beginning in the fall of 2015. A yoga teacher and practitioner, Sabrina is also the director of the Richmond Yoga Project, a grant funded initiative to offer free yoga classes at a community clinic in an underserved area of Richmond, California. With Tria Andrews, she is also the co facilitator of the Race and Yoga Conference, which is held annually at UC Berkeley. Welcome, Sabrina. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. So uh, in preparing for this podcast, we were talking about the kinds of barriers that prevent many women of color from uh, attending yoga classes in the US. We know that a lot of uh, women of color do indeed practice yoga, but that there are regular barriers that that um, make many of the more mainstream yoga spaces alienating for women of color. What, what do you think some of those barriers are and what can we do about that as a yoga culture?
1: I can tell you that I personally came to yoga about five years ago. I started doing a regular practice and I started doing it here in the Bay Area and I went to a studio that was fairly accepting and it was fantastic for me to find some alternative to running in which I could feel free in my body, in which I felt like I was getting some type of physical activity in, but then also it was a meditative practice in addition to those things. Then I went to a studio in San Diego where I was actually living at the time. And I found it to be a very alienating space. Um, People, when I would put my mat down, would sometimes move their mats away from mine. Um, I felt like people were sometimes looking at me when I came into the yoga studio as if to suggest, well, what are you doing here? And so there is a culture in which, because yoga has for so long been predominantly white and female, that the appearance, the simple appearance of a person of color in these spaces can cause other people to turn and look, to gawk, and can make the person of color who's entering the space feel very uncomfortable. So I think the first thing that we have to do is bring these things to light. Because in many the spaces, there is the presumption that because the practice is about healing, the practice is about acceptance, and these are the mantras that we're repeating Uh, again and again, that we are necessarily aware, and so we don't have to make an effort to be inclusive. And that's false. We do have to make an effort to be inclusive, because the spaces are overwhelmingly represented by one type of individual, one subpopulation, and that being white women. And this makes it uncomfortable for women of color, and it also makes it uncomfortable for men of a variety of uh, racial and ethnic backgrounds.
0: Yes, absolutely. I I would agree with that. And um, as you were talking, I was both horrified at the description of your experience and also um, uh, thinking about how sometimes in yoga um, spaces, language of healing and acceptance and peace gets used to um, brush over or um, cover up the obvious inequalities that are already in the room. Um, I, like like naming these things is seen as sort of disrupting the space by the people who are already there which are predominantly white as you mentioned and a particular kind of, of person. Have you have you noticed that naming these things is seen as disruptive in the philosophy or how can we how can we challenge that idea.
1: I think it is important to at least name it because oftentimes there 's the presumption as I mentioned earlier, that yoga studios are a safe space, right. and because of that, people are unwilling even to call attention to issues of racism, issues of sizeism mm-hmm. which we 've seen many instances of in um, the past couple of years, including uh, with the infamous exO Jane pose. Mm-hmm. Um and and instances of um, a certain type of sexism, to be quite honest, in which, you know, sometimes men don't feel comfortable in the yoga studio space. So being able to show, you know, these are the experiences that people are having, this is the discomfort that that causes, at least forces people to rethink these interactions and to rethink the assumption that actually kind of elides the oppression that can take place in these spaces because we're, we're, we're taking a blind eye to them
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, because they're you know this oppression simply can't happen here. So I think that's a first step. Um, but I, you know, obviously that alone isn't enough. Having these conversations as we're having right now and then also what we try to do with the Race and Yoga Conference, they're an important contribution to awareness. But then you also have to take steps to make the space more inclusive. Yep. Um, and I can't claim that there's this one size fits all that everyone should just do X, Y, and Z and then everyone is going to feel welcome at your studio space. No. And if we're, in fact, you're going to have to be able to assess where you're located, who comes to the studio, and also to be able to engage people in ways that can they can talk about their experience and that you can hear it. Uh, one of the things I've found in speaking with other women of color, that there have been instances where they've gone to studios, spoken to studio owners or managers, and explained to them, I felt uncomfortable because of this thing. Mm-hmm. And the response was, oh, we so sorry for you. Uh, oh, no. You know, we're, 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 that was very unfortunate. Maybe we can give you a free class. And this is insufficient. Uh, if they're articulating feeling discomfort because of some type of racial incident, which is not uncommon, mm-hmm. then there has to be the... Willingness to take that seriously and then to think through how to prevent that in the future
0: right like so often uh, happens in this country, uh, an instance of racism gets turned into an individual 's experience rather than a pattern um, that a happens all the time and B is deeply embedded in the environments that we 're creating right so it would require a kind of responsibility on the part of that person or that or that studio right to dig deeper to examine. What's making this happen? What do we need to do, which I think is part of a yoga practice, actually, that kind of self-study, that kind of community study, Um, and what needs to change in order for the members of our community, diverse members of our community to be welcome and feel like they can practice in this space.
1: I would agree with that, and I feel like what you're touching on is the sense that there are institutional forms of racism that exist in American society, that we're not escaping when we enter the yoga studio. We're taking those very same biases right along with us, and they're going to manifest in very similar ways. And so when a person comes to you and expresses that they've had this um, uncomfortable situation within the yoga studio space or any other space in which yoga is practiced, being able to take that seriously and not assume that this was some kind of misunderstanding because this person may be a sensitive, no, but, Oh, here's another example of institutionalized racism or institutionalized sexism or homophobia or some other thing. And we want to think through how to, uh, Limit or you know even obviously the goal is to eradicate these right. kinds of um, manifestations as they would appear in the yoga studio but of course the, the studio is only one space I mean ultimately what we're thinking is how can yoga be transformative not just for our practice as we're on our mats, but how can yoga be almost like an incubation space where we start to think through challenges that we're facing in society more broadly, so that rather than saying, okay, we're going to try to, as best as possible, create a safe space and a loving community within this one studio, instead thinking, how can we use yoga as a tool for awakening outside of the studio space? We're reducing these kinds of instances outside of the studio space and having more, um, person-to-person, holistic contact that is not based on fear or shame or um, belittling in our community more broadly.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow, there's so many beautiful things you just said. Um, How do you feel like yoga in particular, it's certainly not the only practice that can do this, but how does yoga lend itself to um, creating that kind of incubative space that that you just named? Um, What is it about yoga that allows this kind of transformative experience?
1: This is something that many of us in communities of contemplative practice that include yoga but are not limited to yoga are constantly mulling over. Which is, here we are, we're trying to sit with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's actually the first and important entry point. Is that we're taking the time to become aware of how we're moving through the world. And um, you know, in Buddhism, because I'm also a Buddhist, there's this um understanding of the first noble truth, uh, which is suffering, which is that, you know, oftentimes we are the cause of our own suffering. I mean there's this a lot of contestation because within postcolonial society there are many things that we're suffering from that are not evidently of our own doing. But nevertheless, there are many things that cause us suffering that we have in you know in fact created or engendered. So being able to see how we're responsible for our own suffering can enable us to I think also be able to extend that to the suffering of others. Like we we have this way of being, way of doing, we have an attachment to living life a particular way. And that causes a certain amount of pain and unsatisfactoriness. And being able to have compassion for ourselves is really the first step. But I think sometimes with yoga, um, as well as with Buddhism, we don't necessarily go beyond that. We want to feel very comfortable in our own self-study, in our own practice, and release our own suffering. But then the next question is, how is this actually making our immediate communities, or even the broader, larger global community, safer and more comfortable for everyone else? What is it that we have learned here? and are sitting in contemplation or even bringing our breath and our uh, physical movements in alignment that have made us aware of how to interact with others in a way that can actually help them. So I feel like it becomes the stanchion, I think, of yoga practice and also a meditative practice Mm -hmm. in which people can explore what are some of the things that are leading me to suffer. And that could be the jumping off point to understanding how suffering happens with other people and how we can better engage on an interpersonal level um, with others in order to reduce this kind of, of suffering. But again, this is, this is an ongoing conversation. This is a huge question, I think, within the contemplative practice community right now mm-hmm. because and for many years in yoga and also in Buddhism, these were the kinds of questions that people did not want to ask. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so going back to the assumption that this is a safe space and once you show up, you're safe. And so questions of um, homophobia, of racism, those kinds of questions, sizism, simply weren't asked.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And now we're beginning to ask them
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I'm finding this conversation really interesting because as a, a women's studies teacher uh, for many, many years in college environments, I felt like we were exploring issues of privilege and institutionalized oppression really well on a political and intellectual level. But on the level of how it's held in our bodies, mm. how... Um, how these um, belief systems get deeply internalized, how the violence of oppression is um, a form of trauma that's held and I think in our very cells and lots of other people have done that work as well. I felt like um, that piece wasn't happening as much and where it's happening is in the contemplative studies area right where uh, there's a lot of really great people doing that work right now yourself included. Um, And so I It really intrigues me that you're making these connections because it does seem like meditation, yoga, other kinds of contemplative practices that invite us to sit with and really explore what we're feeling and how we relate to others Um, invites us to be present in those deep conversations about oppression in a different kind of way. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm just thinking aloud here.
1: I would agree with that. That last point I think is um, particularly salient for me because I was uh, recently at a yoga teacher training in which um, we had this roundtable discussion. Many of us were people of color and we felt as if there were many different oppressive um, structures to that particular training that we ultimately sort of, sort of drafted a list and had the opportunity to speak with Organizes the training about our experience, and because of the fact that these people were yoga teachers and also meditators, um, they received it in such um I want to say a generous and thoughtful and compassionate way it really blew my mind personally Mm -hmm. because I thought well here's another example of someone going to uh, someone else in a position of power and telling them about their experience and having them you know say okay sure sorry but it wasn't that at all Um, Mm -hmm. there was a heartfelt response from people who could truly feel what it was that we were struggling with and Then it was the beginning of a series of conversations about what was going to change in that particular training. And so part of what a lot of us, the the people of color who organized to uh, address some of the issues in this training that we were in, a lot of what we decided to do was to take the time to write about our experience. Um, And at some point this will turn into an anthology, but we're still working on the contours of that. But in addition to that, to use whatever framework that we come up with to... Um, improve this particular training as a tool for others such that we can say this is the kind of thing that's happening in, you know, not just our own training, but we're quite sure other teacher trainings. Mm -hmm. Here's an example of how it was addressed and the response of those people who organize the training so that, you know, there is some type of resource for people who might be experiencing very similar difficulties and the disconnect between the desire to have a diverse population of yoga um, practitioners and teachers and the inability sometimes to be able to effectively train, work with, support um, this diverse population. So this is, yeah, this is just the beginning of something that we think could be helpful for, you know, making the other community more inclusive.
0: hmm I can't wait to read that anthology. I'll be watching. It <laughs> we're excited about it, but, you know, with
1: many other things, there's always the question of, okay, how do we get the Zen and win? But yes,
0: <laughs> we're looking forward to it. Yes. Um, so, what are some of the things um, that you would like to see in teacher trainings um, changed? Uh, to because, of course, if the teachers ideally, if the teachers change, ultimately the wider community around yoga changes, right, um, that the, the change will ripple out. Um, what are some of the things that you'd like to see changed?
1: I think one of the things, and, you know, you want to be able to work with the existing teachers, but sometimes there isn't always the willingness on the part of teachers who have already been trained to make any changes to their practice or to make changes to their studio spaces, which is what I've encountered, um, More than once, and this is what made that particular training to me so powerful and so moving was the willingness to change. So, part of what needs to be done, in my own personal opinion, is that we want to get more people into the practice who already have a background in studies of um, sexism or racism. Some. for people who are actually already concerned about these issues, to be able to practice yoga because they feel like this could be another tool in their arsenal for addressing oppression. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, yoga right now is becoming so popular in the United States, I don't think it's unrealistic that we can um, try to do outreach in order to encourage people to enter the practice of yoga who already have this understanding or to be able to incorporate lessons that we've learned from you know, previous trainings or just previous studio interactions in the trainings. I think one of the things that I found is that the trainings are very good for talking about alignments and for talking about um, Sanskrit and all of those things are important, but it's not so good for telling you about the history of yoga. This is something that's lacking. And some of these studies are still being developed. Mm -hmm. Um, But you do have the work of Mark Singleton, for example, um, and Yoga Body, which gives you a a sense of how it is that we came to practice yoga in the West and some of the ways in which colonialism and whiteness were embedded in understandings of what a yoga practice would look like Mm -hmm. um, and also femininity. So being able to incorporates the actual history of yoga in the West. I think that's one thing that they might include in teacher trainings, but then also recruiting a a larger body of diverse practitioners, um, people who come from a variety of different backgrounds and have experiences with yoga and also are interested in social justice.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I think both of those things would be really important in altering teacher trainings and in making yoga both a uh, um, healing self-practice and a, um, a, a, an ability to dig deep but then by extension um, a way to to sort of reach out and make change in one's community and so we're reaching the end of our time but um, I'm wondering how do you see these changes in yoga and yoga as a, a, a tool of transformation how do you see that helping to um, reshape or challenge some of the pressing issues in our communities now, such as the ongoing uh, murders of young black men or the uh, you know, extreme violence facing uh, trans youth of color. Um, how, do we, how do we take this practice and all that we're learning into the broader community in a way that's productive?
1: I don't think that yoga can in any way supplement for a more active type of social movement. I think it's very important that the activism that we see on the ground continue if we are going to to reduce violence against um, African-Americans. You know, the Black Lives Matter campaign has been so important and so influential Mm -hmm. because people have taken to the streets and have actively protested. So I don't want to suggest that yoga is the cure-all, only that it can be a very useful way of being able to know yourself in a situation, being able to respond with awareness Mm -hmm. within the moment, and also to be compassionate. All of those things can be very important within any social movement and being able to convince people or to show people how having a yoga practice or a meditative practice can actually make you that much stronger for the fight, mm-hmm. I think is the way to go there. mm mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. This becomes, again, one more tool that we have that makes us better people where we feel more whole, more sustained when addressing these very difficult and complicated issues that are taking place within our society.
0: Thank you so much for this uh, profound conversation, Sabrina. I have really enjoyed talking with you today.
1: Beth, this has been great.
0: Our guest today was Dr. Sabrina Strings. Uh, she is the co-facilitator uh, of the Race and Yoga Conference at UC Berkeley. Uh, is that um, planned to be happening again next spring?
1: Yes, we will have it again on April 2016.
0: Oh, that's very exciting. And good luck with your new position at, at UC Irvine.
1: Thank you. Oh my gosh. It's, <laughs> it's a wonderful blessing. I'm very much looking forward to getting started.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Sabrina.